morning. Again, so good to see each and every one of you, and good to see a few new friends. Some of you I got a chance to meet. A couple of you I look out in the room, and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, so I hope that you might stick around just long enough for me to say hello to you this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's such a joy to be able to worship with you and to welcome you this morning and to wish all of the dads in the room Happy Father's Day. Uh, and just echoing uh, Jessica's welcome, so glad that you're here and um, worship with us and are leading your family um, in that way. Um, it's great to see you. And this last week, I, uh, I want to just echo again the, the blessing that it was. Um, my favorite moment of the week, um, it happened sort of in two parts on Monday and then a little bit later on Wednesday. And, and as I think of it, the, the most favorite moment was walking outside and seeing a group of young boys gathered on our uh, amphitheater, the wedding platform, doing a Bible study with their leader, and that picture will just stick with me for the rest of my life. But in conversation, my favorite moment was I was in this room, and all the kids were going crazy, and I kind of walked through, and one of the young boys, I, I think he might be a first grader, but he came up to me on Monday, and he said, it's kind of in the middle of the day, and he said, how much did this cost you to do all this? He didn't quite understand exactly how things work, but that's okay. And I said, hey, don't worry about that. Is, are you having a good time? He said, yes, this is great. Then two or three days later, I think it was Wednesday of the week, I saw him again. He actually came up to me in the cafe. He came up to me and he said, whatever you spent, it was worth it. <laughs> Sometimes, as one of the pastors, I get to receive more glory and more praise than I am due, and that is one of those cases. But what an amazing thing for a little boy, and he's clearly raised by an accountant, uh, to think <laughs> of whatever this costs, it is worth it. And for that to come out of his little mouth was just such a gift uh, to me. If you're a guest with us, we are in our very last message from Jesus' message to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we have been working our way through this text from Matthew chapter 5 through here near the end of 7. Um, for, for really the last year, and uh, it has been, uh, I'll just tell you, it's been a blessing to my faith, a strengthening of my walk and understanding who Jesus is and the life that he's called us to, and when we endeavored into this and, and began to pray over this series, I think I've mentioned this a couple times and throughout the year, that it really was trying to help us get a, our minds around this idea that God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is something that is greater than anything that this world has to offer and that we are called to live a life as citizens of this kingdom that will transform the way we look at everything. Everything that we do will be changed. And Jesus' words, I believe, have come true. And just even, if nothing else, in my own heart, my view, my understanding of the kingdom of God, my understanding of how we're called to live has been changed, has been encouraged and strengthened as a Christian. And so I hope that that's been the same for you. And if you've missed this, if this is your very first week with us, you're catching the tail end. It's kind of like you're coming to the novel and you're seeing the end of it and you're going to see, oh, should I go back and reread it or re-listen? Um, if you decide that you want to, we have a podcast. You can go to City Church, Melissa, our website, and find our sermons or anywhere you find a podcast. Just search uh, our name and you'll see all of this series. You can find all, I think we're somewhere around 30 to 32 messages um, in this text. But we come to the final words, and these last few words, as we talked about last week, are very sobering words of Jesus, words that we must take very seriously. And they're framed 
Back in verse 13 of chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way that is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus applying his sermon for us, helping us understand why he was teaching us, and it said all the things that he said to us. He says, this is it. There's two gates. There's one way that leads to life, and there's one way that leads to destruction. The one way that leads to life is narrow, and the, the people who find it are going to be few. There's a way that is wide, and that's where all of the many are found. And then he gives us these warnings, and in a sense, Things to be aware of that would lead us from entering into the narrow gate, coming through the narrow gate, which we know he himself is the narrow gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. By following Jesus and, and living with him and our lives aligned with Christ, this is the narrow gate. But he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets. There are going to be people who stand outside the gate and say to you, you can go this way, and they're going to try and convince you that God would approve of it or that God would say the very things that are leading you away from the narrow gate to the wide path. And so he says, beware of those outsiders. Then in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And as we opened that text up last week, essentially warning us and reminding us that, yes, there are outsiders who will lead us astray, but even more things are, are more concerning to our hearts should be the reality that we can deceive ourselves. We can think, well, I believe the right things, and that's what will allow me to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or I do the right things, and that's what will allow me to, the king, to enter the kingdom of heaven. And reality is the only way we enter through the kingdom is through Jesus himself. He is the way. Not believing and being able to articulate the right truths and not doing the right things. And as I said, this is a very sobering text. As a pastor, I can tell you, Am I teaching the right things? I believe I am, convictionally. I'm teaching the word of God. Am I doing the right things? Very often, I believe that I am. But if I think for one second that is what redeems me and that is what God will say uh, satisfies him in my own sin, I've mistaken. It's Christ alone and what Jesus did is where I find my hope, where I find redemption. And so Jesus warns, don't deceive yourself just because you look Righteous or think, there will be many who say that. And then Jesus comes to this final warning in verse 24 that Ali read so eloquently for us. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus is gonna give this contrasting picture. Perhaps a text I would expect many of you, if you've been around a church, the church for any period of time, you've heard this text. It's a very common Sunday school text. If you were raised in the church, you'll remember as a child, at least if you're old enough like me, of having felt boards with sand and various things that kind of describing these pictures, these two things that Jesus is describing for us here. What he's getting to in the root of the problem here is pride, believing that we can hear all that Jesus has said and that we can find our own way and we can do it ourselves. And Jesus warns, there is a way, a narrow way, and that's found in me. So as we look at this text, again, a familiar text. I expect you've heard this before. The first thing that stands out as we read this is that there's a man who builds his house on the rock. This is the person who listens to the words of mine, who hears the words of Jesus and does them. He will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
and then storms are going to come. And then in verse 26, he contrasts that to everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The first thing that we can understand from this text is that there are two ways to build. You know, so often in life, and especially in the plurality of this age, we find ourselves thinking that there's a million different paths. The world says that you can choose whatever path you would like. You can go this way, you can go that way, you can go this way, you can go that way. There's so many paths that you're offered and that we are able to take. At least that's what the world would say. What Jesus says here is there's only two ways. There is either his way, building your house on the rock, or everything else, which is building your house on sand. No matter what the world has to offer, no matter what the world might say to us, what the world might try to convince us of, Jesus is very clear that there is two ways, a choice to be made. We either build our lives, build our houses, build everything anchored and standing on the rock, the rock of Christ, or we build another way, and that any other way apart from Christ is sand. And this is where we see pride. How many of us try and find ourselves thinking that we can sort of do a little bit of both? When we were doing some renovations, if you're new here, this building didn't always look exactly like it looks right now. We've made quite a few changes since we moved into this property back in August of last year. And when we added on, we added this extension, that piece there, and I hope that you didn't even notice there was an extension. That means we did it well. Um, But perhaps you noticed that, hey, there's this little piece that sticks out from the building and it looks a little different than the rest of the building. But, But they came to pour the foundation. And one of the things that we were concerned about, a question that I asked multiple times, Are you sure that that soil, that foundation, what you're doing there is going to match up to what's already been here for eight or ten years? Because I don't want that part sort of falling off into the sand and we're going to look a little janky around here. People walk up and say, what happened to your extension thing? It's kind of falling off the rest of the building. And they assured me, no, 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 no. Right underneath this whole hill, as you might see, is rock, There's nothing but rock here. And so they only had to dig down a little bit. And they assured me that the foundation would hold. How many of us in life, we build this area of our life and we say, yes, I'm building this on the foundation and the rock of Christ. But I'm going to go over here and I'm going to build this area of my life and I'm going to do this a little bit differently. I can build this some other way. And God will be okay with it because I've got the majority of my house on the rock. These little other areas of life I can build in other ways. Would you live in a house like that? My son is about to move into a house this fall that has absolutely no foundation. I don't know how he could think that it is quite livable. He's a college student, so they don't care at this age what it looks like. They just care who's around them. And we walk up, and there is every room. I'm telling you, every room in the house tilts a different direction. (laughs) It is very old and very ill taken care of by I think, generations of college students. We wouldn't want to live in a house like that, but how often we think, we deceive ourselves pridefully, we think that we can build our houses, and as long as we've got maybe the family room on the foundation of Christ, then the rest of these other things we do are okay. And Jesus says, no, you will build your house on the rock or you are building your house on sand. Two ways. 
No one sets out, of course, to build their houses on sand, at least not anyone who isn't a fool. We set out, we think to ourselves, I'm going to build this life, I'm going to do all these things, I want them to, to hold up, I want them to withstand the storms of life, the challenges of life. Well, Jesus would tell you, if you are wise, if you want to build a life, if you want your life to stand through all of the things that this life will have and come and bring for you, you build your entire life on the rock because everything else will fail. I don't have to spend too much time coming up with illustrations to demonstrate that for you. If you lived any amount of time in life, really even from the youngest age, you know that this world is broken and this world will let you down and the things that you so often find your heart desiring to pursue and chase after, they fail you. Have you chased after this dream and it let you down? Have you chased after this goal even achieved it and then found it didn't give you the reward or the hope or the dream that you thought you were going to get from it? Whatever those things are, they show us when we strive to build our houses, build our lives on something other than Christ, they will always fall. And that's the warning that Jesus gives. Notice in verse 25 and 27, they are exact duplicates of themselves. Jesus says the warning twice, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. The rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. Both men building their house, the wise man building his house on the rock, building his house on the narrow path of Christ or the man building his house on whatever else this world might have to offer, the sands of this life and the storms come. I've told you this many times, perhaps you've heard it, I hope, from other people as well, but the Christian life is not an insulator from the storms. It doesn't protect us from the challenges of life. Walking with Christ doesn't mean that we are not going to have any pain or any suffering or any challenges. That's not what Jesus promised us. What Jesus promised us right here is that if you build your life on me, your life will stand. In spite of the storms, in spite of what might come against you, your life will stand. His house, in verse 25, the wise man, it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. Verse 27, the winds came and beat against the house and it fell because it had been built on sand. And great was the fall of it. Jesus' warning in our pridefulness, thinking that we can live our lives however we want to live them, we deceive ourselves and we build our houses on sand. And when the storms and the trials of life come, they fall. Our lives fall apart. Jesus is trying to walk us, encourage us to walk the narrow path to build our lives upon his words. And this is where we go back to the beginning. In verse 24, Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. 
That's the wise man. What does it mean to build your house upon the rock? Obviously, Jesus is using this building analogy and this sort of uh, the, the construction ideas come in our minds that we're building something. And what does that mean? Building our houses on rock, building our houses on sand. The contrasting point is, do we hear the words of Jesus, everything that he has just told us, Matthew chapter five through seven, and do we believe those words? Do we hear them, believe them, and then do we do things differently? Do we live our lives differently because we've heard the words of Jesus? So often we hear the words of Jesus, even coming here on a Sunday morning, hearing the words of Jesus, and walking out, getting in our cars, and saying, thank you for that word, I'll now go do whatever I had on my plate to do. I'll go do whatever I desire to do. Whatever my heart tells me to do is okay. That's foolishness, friends. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus is imploring us to not do that, but to hear his words and to do them. If we truly believe what Jesus has said, the way we live, our actions, our activities will be transformed, will be changed. And what Jesus tells us here is that if we believe there is a commitment that is made. What Jesus has taught us, it can't just be this intellectual idea, this thought that I, yes, believe these things to be true. Because if we really believe them to be true, there will be a response. It demands action. We hear the words of Jesus and we do the words of Jesus. I'm reminded of where one of the early texts all the way back to chapter five, where Jesus, after explaining who we are as citizens of the kingdom of God and what it looked like for citizen, people to become citizens of the kingdom of God through the Beatitudes, he then says, you who are my disciples, who have become citizens of this new kingdom that I have come to usher in, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. There is an action, there's an activity, there's a transformation that happens as we preserve the dying and the decaying world through our saltiness and we step into the dark places of the world and we bring the light of Christ through our light. You remember my favorite coffee mug, it says be salty and lit. This is what we're called to do. This is doing the words of Jesus. And we seek out this narrow gate. You know, Jesus said, as he described that narrow gate again, he said the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus, when he said those who find it are few, he was not saying to us, only this small group will find it if they seek it. It's hidden away somewhere. It's impossible to find. That's not what it means when Jesus said those who find it are few. What Jesus was describing was the heart of man, that the heart of man in our pride, in our desire, in our thoughts that we can be God ourselves, we won't seek the narrow way. There will only be a few, a small group who will hear all that Jesus has said and desire and say, I am going to build my house on the rock. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna pursue him through the narrow path. Most will hear all these words of mine, and go out 
and think to themselves, I can do that on my own. I don't need the rock of Christ. I will build my house however I desire it. And he's warning, he's saying, those are building their house on sand. I read this quote a few weeks ago. I apologize, I can't attribute it properly because I read it, it stuck in my mind and I forgot who said it. But I do want to give credit, it wasn't my own. When given the choice between heaven and hell, anybody in their right mind, it's an easy decision. But when given the choice between heaven and earth, too many of us are consumed by this world. And we don't choose the narrow path of Jesus. We don't choose to build our house on the rock of Christ. We choose to build our house on whatever it is that we can create. And Jesus is telling us, he's pleading with us, he's warning us that it's sand. Jesus is this rock that he is describing. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Just like a rock, like the rock underneath this hill, Jesus, even more so, is sure and steady and a firm foundation. You don't have to doubt, friends, whether your life will last, whether you'll be able to sustain your life, whether whatever might come for you if you're building your house on Jesus. Let me encourage you, let me remind you, let me plead with you and tell you, just as Jesus has said, he is a firm foundation. You can build your life on him and there will be storms that come but if we have built our lives on Christ, when those storms come, we will sustain. We will endure. You will endure. So many of us have tested all of the other foundations, all of the other ground that the world might have to offer and they've shown you over and over again that your house won't endure that, your life won't endure that. So I encourage you, in the words of Jesus, hear his words and do them. Build your house upon him. As we close this morning, Jesus finished all that he had said in verse 28. And everyone who could hear him, the crowds, notice he shifts here. He had been speaking to the disciples and through all of this sermon, those who were following him, we began this text by explaining that this was a message to Christians. This was a sermon to those who would follow him. But the crowds are gathering as they've, he's been teaching. The crowd has gathered around. And these are, there are people there, we must assume, that were not following Jesus, had not built their life on the rock, would not choose the narrow path. And they were astonished because they'd heard all of the teaching that the world had to offer. They had heard everything else that had been said, and they had never heard one who taught with authority like Jesus. We sometimes ask ourselves, why? Why does Jesus get to choose the narrow path or the wide path? Why is it up to him? You might ask that. My question to you is, if it's not up to him, who should it be up to? The creator of the world, the sovereign God. I don't want one of us choosing the narrow path and the wide path, deciding what that looks like. I'm gonna trust the authority of Christ, the authority of the one who created you and me, the authority of the one who would go in just a few days from this teaching and lay down his life for you and for me, so that we might be redeemed, 
giving us access to the narrow path. Let us be a people who hear Jesus' words, hear them, and do them. As we think about this truth and as we close this text, we're going to receive from the Lord's table this morning. As we do this, as the worship team, as Matt comes up and begins to lead us, I want to just invite us, invite each and every one of you to remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. When we receive from the Lord's table, we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We remember his broken body and his shed blood. And before you come to the table, I just want to invite you in a moment of prayer and a moment of stillness. Ask yourself the ultimate test of your faith. Has what you believe, what you know of Jesus, the truth that you believe, has it transformed your life? Has it caused you to live differently? Are you building your house on the rock of Christ? And if not, I want to invite you this morning to confess that to God, to repent of that sinfulness, that pride, and perhaps for the first time this morning to truly believe that Jesus is better than all of the other foundations that this world might have to offer you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps you believe that before and you've sort of drifted away and you've started building some extensions on your house on sand. You need to confess that to the Lord, repent of that, tear those extensions down, and get back to Christ. Come back to the narrow path. Perhaps you've never believed before. Let today be the day of salvation where you hear the words of Jesus. You believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, telling you that what you are hearing said are not just words of a man, but the words of God. And you're believing. Give your life to Christ. Follow him on the narrow path. As we receive communion in a few moments, Scripture informs us that communion, receiving from the Lord's table, is something reserved for those who have put their faith in Christ alone. So we say that it is a closed communion. What we mean by that is it's not closed. You don't have to be a member of this church. You can be any believer in Christ is welcome to come and receive from the Lord's table. The scripture says that if we come and receive from the table not having given our lives to Christ, put our faith and our hope and our confidence in Christ alone, that we bring judgment upon ourselves. And the reason is, is that this is a remembrance. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, when we take the bread and the juice, we are remembering what Jesus did for us, what he did on our behalf. That's the instructions that Jesus gave us. So I just, again, I wanna invite you, if you're not a believer today, if you don't follow Jesus, that's okay. You can sit and pray, and we're gonna be praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to your soul and convince you that what Jesus has said is true. If you're a Christian, the table is open. So the worship team is gonna lead us. I'm gonna invite us. I'm gonna just take us into a moment of prayer here. You can stay into some time of prayer, and as the Spirit leads, you just come and receive from the table. Go back to your seats, and we'll take communion together. If you need gluten-free, we have gluten-free options in the very back corner of the room. The front uh, is open to everyone, but if you do need gluten-free, that's in the back. And so 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And let's ask ourselves, have we built our lives on the rock of Christ, on the sure foundation of Jesus? Perhaps we know that we have been saved, that we have been redeemed, but we've forgotten and we've started to drift away. We've been building our house on sand, and even now, just confess and believe that. Confess that to the Lord. Repent of that and believe in the forgiveness of your sins. And for anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, let today be the day of salvation. We pray, Jesus, that you would speak to those souls, those hearts. Assure them that you are the rock. Your foundation is sure and steady. Would you allow them to build their house on you right now? We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.